From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Catherine Cowdery. Bloomberg Taking Stock is brought to you by the American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve them faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 85 years. Learn more at ADR.org. Economic and earnings concerns are dragging the stock market lower today. China and the U.K. reported weaker-than-forecast factory data, reminding investors of global economic slowdown. And U.S. earnings remain mixed. AIG shares are declining after it reported a third straight unprofitable quarter. Meanwhile, Pfizer shares are gaining after it raised its outlook. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day. Dow Industrial Average is down 122 points, two-thirds of a percent, trading at 17,768. S&P 500 down 16.8 tenths of a percent at 2,064. The Nasdaq is down 41.78 of a percent, trading at 47.76. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil down $1.07 a barrel, 2.4% to 43.70. Spot Gold down $7.60 a ounce to 12.88.30. Ten-year Treasury up 20 30 seconds with a yield of 1.79%. And that's the Bloomberg Business Flash. This is Taking Stock, the Fed in Focus on Bloomberg Radio. This is Taking Stock on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kathleen Hayes in San Francisco at our Bloomberg News Bureau. Pim Fox, my co-host back at Bloomberg World Headquarters. We are both joined today by John Williams. He's president of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. We talked to him a lot about the state of the economy. says it looks pretty good, particularly in the labor market. And, yes, conditions may very well be in place for a June interest rate increase. But there's a big question hanging over the economy right now, uh, and that is productivity. Productivity growth seems to have slowed. That's a big determinant of how far and how fast the economy can grow. Also, wages. Why aren't they rising when the labor market has been so strong? So to talk about wage growth, what's driving it and what's not, is Mary Daly. She is Associate Director of Research at the San Francisco Fed. And so, Mary, it's nice to welcome you, too. Thank you. Great to be here. So wage growth. Uh, how How do you look at wage growth, the fact that, it has it has slowed. If you look at average hourly earnings, they're only up what by two point three percent year over year. With unemployment at five percent, it's even been a four point nine. What has happened? So, like John, I'm a big believer in the Phillips curve. So I think well, if unemployment should go, if unemployment's at five wage growth, we should see acceleration as the unemployment rate's fallen. What we've seen really is what we like to think of as a math problem more than a wage problem. And what do I mean by a math problem? Well, the wage growth is being held back by two forces. One force is really good news for the labor market. The really good news is that a strong labor market is bringing back in workers who were sidelined by the recession. They were let go. They were lower skilled workers. They got let go in the recession. Now they're coming back in because the job prospects are brighter and they're getting an opportunity 
opportunity. But they come in at lower wages, and those lower wages pull down the average wage in the United States. And so that limits wage growth. On the other side, we have workers who are the silver tsunami, if you will, and they're starting to retire. Those are workers who have higher, higher wages, higher skills on average. So we've got higher wage workers leaving the labor force, the silver tsunami. We have lower wage workers entering the labor force who are previously sidelined or they're just younger and they were in school. And these two factors are holding down wage growth. It's somewhat giving us, well, it's completely giving us a bit of a false signal, false signal on how healthy the labor market is. And it's not an, an idea that slow wage growth means we have unmeasured slack in the economy. It's really that slow wage growth is these compositional changes that are often, uh, or I think of them as a good sign for the economy. Mary, are you not worried, though, that um, there has been a hollowing out of the middle part of the labor market? You could say it started 20 years ago when manufacturing companies started hiving off their their payroll functions and their accounting functions, services jobs. Then you add in technology. So in the olden days, when my mom was a secretary many years ago, you know, you answered the phone, you typed letters. That there's a, for, for decades now, all kinds of jobs that have been eliminated by some big, big forces. Are you concerned that that's going to continue to keep wage growth low because you've, you've eliminated some of the higher paying jobs that would have pushed them higher? So one of the things that's really important to think about is this job polarization you just referenced, which is the hollowing out of middle class jobs. Those are levels of wages. When you think about wage growth, we find that wages grow at all levels of the distribution of wages. So if you're a low wage worker, you still have 3 4% wage growth when the economy is doing well. And so we wouldn't think this would slow wage growth. But this hollowing out that you referred to, if you've been an economist as long as I have, you've been thinking about this issue a while. And what we've seen is that while we worry about it each and every time that manufacturing gets replaced, steel industry gets replaced, now we're worrying about other types of manufacturing being replaced, we see new jobs forming, and the new jobs that form are also high-skilled jobs oftentimes. It's not the case that we're just eliminating all high-skilled jobs and replacing it with low-skilled jobs. We have a rapid growth in high-skilled jobs, and it's one of the things that we have to think about as a nation. It means continued investment in human capital and college is going to be important to fill those high-skilled jobs. Mary Daly, um, talking about jobs. I just want to point out, I believe that you dropped out of high school at the age of 15 and delivered donuts in order to support yourself, correct? That is true. Okay. I also noted that there is a Federal Reserve Board study, a survey that monitors the financial and economic status of American consumers. They've been doing this since 2013. And that you ask this question about whether people would be able to come up with $400 for some kind of unplanned financial emergency. The answers were not great. And I'm wondering if you could speak to the issue of the people who are dealing with being put out of work because of productivity gains from automation and also from the increased use of robots. They don't pay taxes, but they also don't cost a company retirement benefits as well. What's the future? Well, the future, and, and my colleague John Fernald is going to talk about productivity in its future, but the future is that automation is going to continue. There's just, it's an unstoppable force, and we've seen this for hundreds of years that we replace 
individuals with new technologies that do things that we used to have to do, farming, creating steel, now we're using robots to build cars. Those are just things that are going to happen. The the important thing is for individuals to respond to that and for the, our economy to respond to that by ensuring that people have the skills to take on the next job. So we're seeing the shift in our economy towards more th- thinking. And you see a high return on what we call softer skills, people working in teams, people being able to organize new processes. So if you link it back to how should people respond, well, invest in themselves to do to get the skills necessary to do these new jobs. But if you're thinking more about the, I think you referenced earlier, a lot of people have trouble coming up with $400. That's a level of economic insecurity that is present, whether we have automation or not. It's a, really a reflection of the fact that many individuals at the lower end of the wage distribution, they're 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 in a risky position of their one job loss away from being unable to pay a bill or to meet some sort of an expense that they've got planned. So for those individuals, in, increasing their skill level, get, getting them into jobs that have more security or finding a way to, to broaden their opportunity set is really the important thing. So, you know, uh, John Williams, you are an economist who, like so many economists, has this fun creative side, and one of the, the – things about you that a lot of people don't know and until a very interesting profile recently was carried by the Wall Street Journal, I must say. Uh, your, your love for punk music and how you weave it into things. So I want to give you a, a kind of a out of left field question. If you had to take one of your favorite songs and use it to depict this question, this, this tension, right? Productivity, labor market, what's going on? Can you think, does anything come quickly to mind of what it would be? <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good clash song that has to do with uh, productivity. So nothing really, uh, uh, comes to mind. I think that, that really what, uh, uh, Mary's point though is absolutely right. The issues we're talking about are long-term structural issues around, uh, shifts in technology, productivity, uh, and what's key for our nation's success is really about investing in our people. And that's not just college. I mean, Mary mentioned college because that's hugely important. But we also know from studies that what happens before you even go to kindergarten has huge effects on your lifetime uh, earnings uh, and your health and all these other things. So, you know, I think for as a country, if we want to tackle a lot of these issues that were brought up in the last question, we really need to, uh, re, you know, really invest uh, in our people from, you know, basically from birth all the way through college. And then, and, and even further. Uh, but I will, I will contemplate how to bring either Elvis or uh, Elvis Costello or, or the Clash into into this issue. By the way, I, w- I will tell you that this punk uh, uh, description is said that the Wall Street Journal did has gotten me a lot of emails. So this is not really the Clash and Elvis were not punk. So this is now a, a whole sidebar of research about what exactly was the new wave punk uh, and things like that. So that's something that you should be looking forward to hearing more about. Uh, John Williams, maybe you could spot on, and I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but why don't you just raise interest rates to a point where people will be incentivized in order to save money? I mean, you keep talking about this from a 30,000-foot level, but, I mean, if people can't come up with $400 to meet an unplanned expense, what is the incentive to save if they're getting nothing in the bank? And then you tell them, well, okay, go buy riskier assets, and then they lose their money. Well, I don't want them buying riskier assets, so that, let me make that absolutely clear. I think, you know, the, the, this is the trade-off we face with monetary policy. Uh, and I'm not making uh, excuses, but, you know, we have a blunt instrument. Do we want interest rates to be higher or lower? If we raise interest rates, that's probably going to slow growth, create, you know, have fewer jobs created, more people who are living uh, kind of in the situation that Mary described about being at risk. Uh, a stronger economy uh, will will help those people who get jobs or, or have more stability uh, in, in, the, uh, in their economic 
economic lives. But you're absolutely right. These are big social issues that we need to think about. I just don't think monetary policy, either raising or lowering interest rates, is going to fundamentally change some of these issues. Well, thank you so much to Mary Daly, Associate Director of Research at the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco and the President of the San Francisco Fed himself, John Williams, spending a very generous hour of his time with us today on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kathleen Hayes, Long Pim Fox. This is Taking Stock, and yes, this is Bloomberg Radio. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.